Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, good morning, and I know I wasn't here last week, but we can still say this. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and I'm so glad you're here, uh, so glad to, to see these pews filled this morning. That's such an encouragement to me uh, as your pastor, uh, but I do want to just say we're starting a new year, but we're also starting something new. We're starting a new book of the Bible. We're going to be going through the book of Acts, and uh, this is always an exciting time to go uh, through the scriptures the way the Lord gave us the scriptures. He gave us these words in books, so we're supposed to go through them. Uh, but I'm excited for what's in store, and I'm going to talk about this later, but Acts uh, gives us a context uh, for the New Testament. If we did not have the book of Acts, we would be lost. In the same way, uh, if we didn't have the Old Testament, we would be lost. And I know we've been announcing this for uh, quite a few weeks, but we're going to be having a special event here January 28th. That's a Saturday morning. Uh, we're going to be hosting Walk Through the Bible here at Westacres, and uh, this is a ministry in itself. We're going to be hosting this special event open to our community, uh, but we, we would love all of our Westacres family to be here because uh, in one morning, we're going to go through all of the Old Testament together, and the plan is once you leave here that day, you're going to know what the Old Testament's about. And it's going to help you understand the scriptures even better. So I want to encourage you to be here for that. You can register for Walk Through the Bible on our website at westacres.org. And uh, I will go ahead and invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. And uh, while you're turning there... I also just want to say a welcome uh, to some church family that have been away for a while, but that is John and Jennifer Murray. That's one of our military families. They've been away for, how long has it been, John? Three years? Three years. Three years uh, been with the Army, but they are back in Augusta for six months, so I'm so excited to have them back. Amen? And uh, I, remember, I remember John and Jennifer's first Sunday, they had four kids, and I was like, whoa. Wow, we only had two. Guess what? We've had two more. So uh, we've matched y'all. We got oldest as a girl, boy, then two more girls. So we just had to keep up with the Murrays. So we're so glad that you're here, brother. Uh, but Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John, speaking of John the Baptist, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let us pray. Father, I just pray for your anointing and I pray for blessings uh, as your church here at West Acres, as we uh, begin going through your words, specifically uh, the book of Acts. Lord, we pray that this season will be a sweet season. Uh, we pray that our people will grow. Lord, I pray that our church will match uh, the church presented uh, in this book. And Father, I, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit, as we've uh, sung about, as we've welcomed into this place, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be the preacher, and that your Holy Spirit will bring new life into this place today. Lord, I pray that uh, folks will be saved. If there's any lost sinners here, today will be the day that they shall be saved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to think of this for a second. Imagine reading your Bible without the book of Acts. Imagine the New Testament, if we were to take the book of Acts out of the New Testament, how would your reading experience be? We would be totally confused. We would be totally lost. We'd have so many questions to ask ourselves if we did not have the book of Acts. We'd be asking ourselves this. Where did the church come from? How did the church begin? How did the church expand and grow so rapidly? You'd be asking yourself this question. Who in the world is the Apostle Paul? Also, you'd be asking, what is the deal with all these letters or epistles in the New Testament? We would have so many questions because and all the answers to these questions are found in the book of Acts. I've heard that the book of Acts, you can look at it as a bridge. It bridges uh, the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus, to the rest of the New Testament. It connects everything. Moreover, this book is foundational for the church. It is a history of the church, but it also teaches us the mission of the church. That's why I've prayerfully made the decision uh, to lead this church body through the book of Acts. But as we come to this book, I want to make sure we have the right mindset. I don't want us coming to this book as academics. Uh, we are not here to get puffed up with Bible knowledge. Instead, I want us to come to this book as soldiers. Soldiers. I heard a good, uh, one of my professors from seminary said this, good soldiers study history, and they do so to benefit themselves on the battlefield. Christians do not fulfill their mission in an ivory tower. We fulfill our mission on a battlefield, and it's called life. 
So as we come to this book today, we're not here to, to build up some Bible trivia, little factoids here and there, but we are here to better prepare ourselves to serve the King on the mission He has set before us. So may we be soldiers. West Acres, are you ready to get into the book of Acts? Okay, let's start. Uh, point number one, we're given an introduction. We're actually given the book's introduction. That's verses one through three. And just to let you know a little bit about this book, the writer of this book is a man named Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. Interestingly, if I were to quiz you, was Luke one of the 12 disciples? No, he was not one of the 12. He was not an apostle, but he was a, and a companion of the apostle Paul. Uh, he's referred to in the book of Colossians as a physician. This lets us know that he was educated. Luke had a keen eye for details. He was very thorough in his writing. Therefore, God gave us a gifted historian to give us the history of the church. The book's original recipient is a man named Theophilus. And we see that in verse 1. The same Theophilus is mentioned in Luke's gospel. Uh, the book is dedicated to him as the most excellent Theophilus. We don't know a lot about this man, but many believe that he was a, a Roman citizen, probably a prominent Roman citizen, someone of wealth, and they believe that he was a patron who funded uh, Luke's writing, that allowed him to, to research the history of the church. In verse 1, Luke tells us the purpose of his writing. He says his gospel message he says his gospel message, Luke's gospel, dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This suggests that the book of Acts is going to be a continuation of that. It's going to be a continuation of what Jesus was doing and teaching to the church. But as we read later in this passage, Jesus ascended to heaven. So he, he continued his work, not in his humanly body, because it ascended to heaven, but he continued his work in his spiritual body. Do you know what his spiritual body is? The church, the body of Christ. In verse 3, we learn about this awesome 40-day period uh, after Jesus' resurrection. This just blows me away uh, that Jesus was here, appeared over 40 days after he was resurrected. Look at verse 3. It says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just show up on Easter morning, show his scars, and say, peace out. Hey, he didn't do that. Hey, he wasn't here just for a day. He wasn't here just for a weekend. Hey, he appeared to his disciples for over 40 days, providing many convincing proofs. That way, these guys couldn't just be like, I think I saw it. I think that's what we saw. Maybe, kind of, sort of. No, he wanted them to know that they knew that they knew now listen to some of these convincing proofs that Jesus gave to his disciples. 1 Corinthians tells us this. He appeared to over 500 witnesses. He appeared to over 500 witnesses. That's pretty much our average attendance on a Sunday uh, post-COVID. Uh, he entered a locked room. Uh, he showed his crucifixion wounds. He even invited Thomas to touch his wounds. This blows me away, though. We read this repeatedly throughout the Gospels. Uh, John and Luke's gospel. He ate and drank with his disciples. The resurrected Christ ate food. This lets us know he had a physical body. 
He spoke with his disciples. Here in uh, verse 3, it says he talked about the kingdom of God. He had his encounter with Peter uh, by the beach. You remember that? He, he, he spoke to them. He taught to them during this 40 days. Think of the disciples, the road to Emmaus. Moreover, he did all these things over a 40-day period. This wasn't one day. This wasn't two days. This wasn't uh, just a weekend. 40 days. 40 days. That's a long time. Now, we don't know if he was continually with them for 40 days or he just made several appearances during that 40 days. But 40 days is significant in the Bible. The flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And here he spent 40 days with his disciples doing one, one thing, providing many convincing proofs. Jesus is not a conspiracy. Jesus is not a legend. Jesus Christ was not a delusion for these 12 disciples, 11 disciples. Jesus is not a ghost, but he was flesh and blood. He rose from the dead. He is alive and well forevermore. And he wanted his disciples to know this. He wanted them to know without a doubt that he was alive to let them know that they serve a living king. And this is what's so awesome about our Lord. He doesn't call us just for blind faith. He appeals to the senses. He appealed to reason. He, he wanted the disciples, they were able to see him. They were able to hear him. They were able to touch him. They were probably able to smell him because they spent time with him. They were able to spend time with him. This is something else we're going to learn about the book of Acts. This isn't just a book of history, but if, you're a, if you like apologetics, if you're familiar with apologetics, this is a book of apologetics. What is apologetics? Apologetics is uh, defending the truth claims of the Christian faith. It provides evidences and credibility. Yes, we come to Christ in faith. Yes, we come to God's word in faith. But God appeals to our minds. He appeals to our reason. You're going to be amazed as we get through this book later on. How many times you'll hear Paul, when he was going on his missionary journeys, he explained to the people. He reasoned with the people. He persuaded the people. He didn't just say, come believe this because God tells us to. No, he said, look at all this evidence. We serve a real God, and he wants us to know it. The disciples were witnesses to Jesus' life. They witnessed his teaching. They witnessed his miracles. They witnessed his death. They witnessed, witnessed his burial. They witnessed his resurrection. And Jesus was going to use their witness to change the world. This leads us to point number two, the church's commission. This is the apostles' com commission, but their commission is our commission. It's the great commission. Look at me in verses four through five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus reminded them about the promise of the Holy Spirit that would be given on the day of Pentecost. Here's another thing that's going to be interesting about the book of Acts. This isn't just a book of history. This isn't just a book about apologetics. I've had some folks tell me, Pastor, we want to hear about the Holy Spirit. This is a book about the Holy Spirit. 
my, my Bible says the Acts of the Apostles, but many believe this book could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned over 50 times. He is just all over this book. But we, he promises them, and he talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. That's going to be in Acts chapter 2. The first believers, the early church, received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. What's the day of Pentecost? Do y'all know? Can I be honest with you? I've been edumacated, and and I still didn't know what the day of Pentecost was until I really started studying this. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. We got that word penta. Penta means five. Pentecost was a harvest festival that took place 50 days after the Passover. And that's when the Holy Spirit came to these early believers. Uh, The giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was unique to the apostles and the early church. But here's the thing. We don't have to wait on the Holy Spirit. You don't come to church and say, I want to get saved and have to wait for a certain day on the calendar to get the Holy Spirit. I've seen people talk about that from time to time, say, I got water baptized at this age, but I got baptized by the Holy Spirit at this age. That doesn't make any sense because the Bible teaches us this. Once you are saved, at the very moment you ask Christ to be your Savior, the very moment you have faith, it's the very moment the Holy Spirit comes into your life forever, in full forever. You don't have to keep wondering if he's going to leave you or come back. No, he is there. The Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us as believers. So we'll talk about that more as we work through the book of Acts, but for now I want us to look at verse 6. They've just been given this promise, but what's on the disciples' minds once they're given this promise? It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Christ is risen from the dead. They've just been given word about the Holy Spirit. They think now is the time that Jesus is going to establish his earthly kingdom on earth. They think now is the time. Now, this is what we've been waiting for. During the three and a half, uh, three and a half year ministry of Christ, they were thinking about that. They're all saying, what position am I going to have in the kingdom? How great am I going to be? What am I going to do? They're thinking, now is the time. He is alive. He's talking about the spirit. The kingdom has come. That's what's on their minds. And this wasn't a bad thing for them to think about. They were anticipating what God's word talked about. Throughout the Old Testament, it spoke of God's messianic kingdom. Christ bringing this kingdom to the earth which we know about in the book of Revelation, is going to come, and it's coming very, very soon. But Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples for thinking about this. He he doesn't rebuke them for asking this question, because he knows this is a valid question. But instead, he redirects their focus. He says, listen, I don't need you focusing on that right now. That's a time, that's a day that's been appointed by the Father. I don't need you worrying about that. This is what I need you to worry about. I need you to focus on the mission. What's the mission? Look at me in verse 8. This is the mission. This is Acts 1.8. Many people think of uh, the Great Commission and, and the end of Matthew and throughout the Gospels. But this is the Great Commission, just in different wording in the book of Acts. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the mission. That's their mission. That's our mission. Let me explain. Acts chapter 1-8 is the thesis statement for all of Acts. If you're into highlighting or underlining, underlining your Bible, this is one verse to do that in your Bible. It's the main idea. It's the main theme. It's the Great Commission. The apostles were called to be witnesses for Christ and to the world. They were to begin at home in Jerusalem. Then they were to work their way to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here at West Acres, we've adopted Acts 1-8 as our mission strategy. What is our Jerusalem? The CSRA. Judea and Samaria. That's the, the, the state, the nation of America. And what is to the ends of the earth? The nations. We try to be doing all of those, reaching the nations for Christ. Acts 1-8 also provides an outline for this book. This is very interesting. But chapters 1 through 7 covers the ministry of the gospel going into Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 shows us the gospel going into Judea and Samaria. Getting tongue-tied up here, sorry. And finally, to Rome and to the ends of the earth in chapters 12, uh, excuse me, 13 through 28. The disciples were called to be witnesses. What is a witness? What is a witness? Witnesses are those who see something and tell others about it. A witness for Jesus Christ is simply someone who tells the truth about him. All believers are witnesses. Everybody here that has Christ is a witness. Hear me clear. John, John MacArthur says this, There is a sense in which believers do not even choose whether or not to be witnesses. They are witnesses. The only question is this, how effective of a witness are you? Are you a good witness? Are you a bad witness? Are you a hardworking witness? Are you a lazy witness? Or as I like to say in Georgia, sorry. Sorry. You ever called somebody sorry? Man, that person's sorry. Vernacular, sorry. You may be asking yourself, maybe saying this to yourself, I can't be a witness, Pastor. I'm too shy. I'm not elegant. I'm not educated. I'm not trying. I don't know this stuff. I can't talk about Jesus. I don't have what it takes to be a witness. I'm glad you said that. Nobody has what it takes to be a witness. That's why Jesus, that's why God gives us everything we need. He gives us everything we need to do our job as witnesses. What does it say at the beginning of verse 8? It says, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not you. It's not you. It's God. You're not the one saving people. You're not the one doing the mission. He is through you. It's his power. So quit trying to do things in your power. You, when it comes to, to being a witness, it's all about him. I think of the disciples. We read about them in the, the New Testament, the four Gospels. The night that Jesus was arrested, what were these guys doing? They were scared. They were running. They were powerless. They were weak. But we read about them in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit came into their life. They were bold, they were powerful, they were fearless, they were going into prison, breaking out. You know, they, they were not scared of anything. And they weren't breaking out on their own volition. God was breaking them out. We'll get to that later. They were different men. 
when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you are a different person. You hear that? Can, can I get a witness to that? I ran into somebody I went to high school with about a year ago. We were both amazed. We were at, uh, we were at Warren Baptist. They had a, a, a breakfast going on for the men's ministry. And it, we were just shell-shocked to see each other. I was like, you're here? And his eyes said the same thing about me. You're here? Because we're different people. We're different people. He's not the same guy he was in high school. The Holy Spirit has transformed his life. And I'll tell you what, I'm not the same guy I was in high school. Thank the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit's changed me. The Holy Spirit will make you a different person. He not only makes you a different person, but he'll come into your life and give you the power to live the Christian life. He'll give you the power to say no to sin and to say no to him. He'll give you the power to be a witness. He'll give you the power to share your faith with your loved ones and your friends. He gives you the power. So the real question to ask yourself is this, what kind of witness am I? If you're not satisfied with the answer, here's the solution. Quit living in your power and live in his. That's the solution. Finally, we come to this just awesome part of Acts. It's at the very beginning, but wow, what a climax at the very beginning of this book. It's the ascension of Christ, our Lord being lifted into the heavens in verses 9 through 11. Let's read those together. And When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. At the end of this 40-day period, we're given this, this glorious sight of our Lord being ascended into heaven. Uh, just going into the clouds. We sang about the clouds earlier, right? This cloud wasn't just any kind of cloud. This wasn't just a cloud in the sky, but this was a cloud of God. This was the Shekinah glory of God. This is the, the, the cloud we read about in the Old Testament that filled the temple. This is the cloud that surrounds Jesus being lifted up into the heavens. This is interesting. The visible ascension of Jesus into heaven indicates that Jesus retains a physical human body As a man, when we all get to heaven, we're going to get to shake a real nail-scarred hand if we get to do that. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're just going to be on our faces. Uh, But we are going to be able to see a real human body, a real glorified body of Christ. He's the first fruits of all creation, first fruits of resurrection. He has a real human body when coupled with Acts 1.11, it also indicates that he'll someday return in the same physical body. It's not going to be a hologram. It's not going to just be some cloud that looks like Jesus. It's not going to be some screen of Jesus. It's going to be Jesus. He's coming back in his human, visible form. The amazing miracle of the incarnation is not only that the eternal Son of God took human nature on himself and became a person who was simultaneously God and man, but also that he will remain both fully God and fully man for all eternity. That's what makes Christmas awesome, the incarnation. What a glorious sight 
that must have been. Could you imagine being there when the disciples, just hearing all this awesome news from the Lord, seeing him ascend to heaven with this glorious cloud from God? I mean, if we were there, we'd probably have neck problems uh, from, from staring so long because our eyes would be so fixed looking at him ascend. One, because we don't see people in the sky unless they're jumping out of an airplane. But two, it's the Son of God, the risen Son of God, ascending into heaven. This event was so glorious. It was so awesome. Don't, don't miss this. God had to dispatch two angels to go and tell the disciples to quit looking. He, had to, he said, hey, go send them, down, send them down there so they'll stop staring at the sky. Because if they didn't go, how long would they have stayed there? They would have set up camp. They would have set up a city. They would have set up a, a whole people group staring at that point in the sky if the angels hadn't come and told them to stop staring. The scene of the disciples looking at the sky brought, my, my, brought to memory. Just so crazy how our minds work. Made me think of a memory of T-ball. T-ball. Let me, let me just share this with you. Anybody play T-ball? When, when was T-ball created? I, I don't know. I know it's supposed to help you play baseball. But it's quite humorous. If you've ever played, and now that I have kids, it's very humorous to go to a T-ball game. Because they're not playing T-ball. They're, they're doing something out there. But I remember playing T-ball in McDuffie County. And if you played recreation sports in McDuffie County in the 80s or the 90s, you probably knew of this infamous rec league coach named Coach Pettis. Coach Pettis. He was an older black man. He was an Army veteran. I looked him up. He passed away in 2017. Awesome obituary. But I remember Coach Pettis. He was one of the scariest people I ever knew. Because I, he treated us like we were in the Army. Six and seven-year-old boys. He, he, he coached us like a drill instructor. He was no nonsense. He was loud. I was scared to go to practice. I says, do we really got to go? But I remember vividly of a day when we were practicing out at Sweetwater Park in Thompson, Georgia. And right by Sweetwater Park is Sweetwater Baptist Church. And there's a pond out there. And there's a flock of geese that are always close by Sweetwater Park. And we're out there practicing our fielding, trying to learn how to catch a ground ball, pot fly, all this and that. This flock of geese comes flying overhead. What do you think the six-year-old boys are doing out in that field? Wow! Man, you see that? They're in a V-shape. Wow! The next thing I know, I, feel, I hear a ball just go by us. Then I hear this loud voice. It's Coach Pettis. He's saying, y'all quit looking at the sky! We got work to do. I'll never forget that voice. Even to this day, when I see geese in the sky, I hear the voice of Coach <laughs> Pettis. But let's go back to the story. The angels had a very similar message as Coach Pettis. I don't think they were as loud and as abrupt and as scary. It reads kind of very gently here. But they had the same thing to say to those disciples. They said, y'all quit staring at the sky. You've got work to do. 
the king is gone. He's gone to heaven. He's told you what you got to do. It's time to get to work. The mission is to take the good news of Jesus into the world. That's where we live here today. That's when you go to work tomorrow. That's when you go home tonight, took your little boy and girl to bed. That's also when we go uh, to the nations uh, strategically. The mission is the same. The mission continues. So church, I close with this word. We got work to do. Let me pray for us.